way, all right? Okay, thank you. Um, we have been working our way through a series on worship, and I love this. I love this kind of really practical, because I think a lot of the times at, in, over the course of, you know, being a pastor for all these years, that a lot of the times we, we just take for granted that people know what to do like with worship, you know, that you become a follower of Jesus and all of a sudden it's naturally ingrained in you as to when I come to gather on Sunday morning, here's what I should be doing. Here's the way I should be thinking. Here's how I should be singing the songs. Here's the body motions I should do, you know, and uh, that, that we kind of know this stuff, but really we don't. It's it's things we, that we need to learn, things that we need to understand. I think prayer is a lot like that. I think worship is. I think service. I think we grow in these areas, and we, we come to understand them a little better. And so we've been talking about uh, how we're made for worship, how God has instilled that in us, this love for God that we have that is part of us. And, and you know, in that very first sermon, how Scotty said that we are going to worship something or who we are, right? It was Bob Dylan that said, everybody's got to serve somebody, right? Because that's the way we are. It's the way we're made. We are going to be worshiping people. But the way that we are originally designed is that adoration, that love, that worship, that, that expression of this is God and this is what I want to say to him, that that is ingrained in us. It's part of who we, how God has designed us. And he's talked about different forms of worship and some of the, some of the reasons we raise our hands in worship. Last week, he talked about using our imagination in worship. Uh, and, and all this has been so good. So what I want to do is I want to start us off a question today, okay? And I want you to discuss this. Um, as I thought about that this week, uh, I thought, you know, here we are. We have gathered on a Sunday morning all 67 of us here this morning. There's probably a few more with the kids out there. Um, why are you here today? I mean, why are you here in this place today? You know, we could have, it, it, if worship is an expression of our hearts to God, and you hear this, I probably maybe not as much as I have in the years, but, uh, you know, I could do that pretty much anywhere. I could have gone over to the coast today and walked on the beach and in those thin places that I love to be with God where it's so easy for me to connect with the ocean setting there, walking along a stream through the woods and the mountains, a waterfall, all those kinds of things are very easy for me to connect with God and to worship him and to, and to lift him up. Why aren't we there today? Why do we choose to come here today? So I want you to group up with three or four or five people, and I want you to answer that question with one another, okay? So do that now. Why are you here today?
Why are you here? Take about one more minute to discuss. I know that's a lot of time to discuss this, but uh, why are you here? All right, as you come back together here, let me give you a, let me give you a little disclaimer here before we, uh, before we move on. We were in our prayer time this morning uh, before church and kind of processing what we had heard God say in our prayer time today. And Bob's expressing the fact that he said he was tied a little too much to the watch on his arm. He needs to, he needs to turn that around so that he isn't quite there. See, he's got to turn around now so he can't see the face of it, right? And, and I said, oh, that's wonderful since I'm preaching today. That's a great thing. I think all of you right now should turn your watches around, okay? And if somebody would get up and turn that clock around so I don't have to look at it, like that makes any difference to me anyway, right? You, you, many of you have already heard me preach. You know what they say when a preacher looks at his watch like that, what it means? It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, uh, has no, no meaning whatsoever. So boil it down to one word, if you can, the discussion in your groups, okay? Give me, give me, throw out one or two words that, about why you're here. What did you say? Community, relationship, family, fellowship, what was it? The cookies. 
No place better. I like that. And the Lord, absolutely. Yeah, that should have been first on our lips, right? The Lord is what brings us here. Yeah. Structure and routine. Boy, there are personalities that are like, uh, <laughs> I must drive you crazy. I must. <laughs> oh, you didn't say it with somebody else. <laughs> Just threw you under the bus, huh? <laughs> It is family, that's right, that's right. It's an interesting question to ask, you know, why have I shown up here uh, this morning? And, and I love the fact that so many of our answers have to do with relationship, with, the, you know, community, family. Uh, this is who we are. we are. We are in this together. There is no better place. And the cookies play a part in that as well because you, I've got to tell you, there is more truth in the fact that community happens around food in the Bible than we normally give that credit for. So, so there is something good about us having cookies together in the morning and a little coffee. Martin Luther King, many years ago, and I think he quoted this from maybe Howard Thun, but he said this, Sunday morning at 11 a.m. remains one of the most segregated hours. Now, that is a message to be preached another time uh, about the, you know, that you look at Revelation chapter 7 and the description of that people from every tribe and nation and race and language and tongue that we will all be gathered around the throne of God uh, at the, in the end days and that we will be worshiping together. And we need to reflect that in our, in our life together. That needs to be part of who we are. And I love it that we do reflect some of that here, that there is diversity here in our midst. I think Martin would have been happy with us. I've taken that quote, and this is my quote about Sunday morning. That I think Sunday morning at 10 a.m. may be one of the most narcissistic hours of our nation. You know what the word narcissism means? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You all say that as if you know people that are, uh, that are like this, right? Um, narcissism means that it's all about me, right? It's all about what I want. It revolves around me. It's all about the, the desires that I have. It's all about the wants that I have. It's all about the things that I like. And everybody else is out there to serve me, Okay? Now, I say y'all know, y'all, where am I picking that up from? I say, I say y'all know that, that you all know people who are narcissists because you all know yourselves. And we all have a little narcissism in us. It's part of the sin nature in us. 
It's part of, the, it's part of what, what that old person, that old man inside of me desires, that, that when sin happened, when Adam and Eve fell, it was the, it was the, the strongest and most, uh, what I want to say, it was the strongest expression of narcissism that the world had ever seen because it, it, they had made it all about them. I can be like God. Okay? So when I say that I think there's a little narcissism, that this may be the most narcissistic hour in our week, I say that because, because so much of what we do normally on Sunday morning has to do with me, has to do with what I want to get out of this about what I like, about whether the music is the, the cunt, uh, whether I heard anything interesting from the pastor or whether he, and boy, as a pastor, these are words that you just cringe at, whether I got fed or not in, in worship, okay? I, I've got a little video might say this well. About us, okay. Let's see if our. It's all about me, really. It is all about you. Now the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about now. I lift my name on high. All twenty songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you. Because you are unique, and you love you. There is none like me. All this for only $19.95. Operators are standing by to serve you. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. Call 1-800-ME-ME-ME or order online at memyfandi.com. Call today because no one can praise you like you. laugh if that didn't hurt so much. Um, I have a little book on my shelf at home. I, I, I came across this book when I was in college, about 19 years old. And it can't, it can't have 100 pages in it. It is just a short little study of, of 1 John, the book of 1 John. And the book is called, We Really Do Need Each Other, by a college chaplain, campus minister named Reuben Welch. And as you might guess, the book is about community. It's about fellowship. It's about being the church together, about oneness. But one of the things he says in there is he says that I, he says, I feel like we become so over-individualized in our culture that phases has become about me 
rather than about us. We talk so much about, and this is still him, we talk so much about our personal relationship with God and me and my and my inner life and my devotion to God and my worship of God and my heart for God that we forget that when we are born into Jesus, when we experience new life in Christ, that we are born into community, into a family, that we are born into relationship, and that it is not just Jesus and me anymore. It is Jesus and we in this walk that we do, this journey that we go on. And he uses this illustration, which I just love. He said, we Christian deep sea divers. You know, deep sea divers are the ones with the big metal helmets on, you know, and they're, they're going way down deep and they've got, he said, we put on the helmets, we put on the suits, we fall in the water and we're down and you've got, you've got your lifeline to God and I've got my lifeline to the great white ship up above, he says. And here we are and we've all got our lifelines going up and we're moving around on the bottom and sometimes we bump into each other. Sometimes we have a little bit of communication with one another, but what it's really about is my lifeline to the great white ship up above. He said that sometimes someone gets the bends, and so we bump them up to the top. But we really are more concerned with my relationship with God than with me and my, my inner life, okay? And I think we experience this together. I think that we are, uh, that we are prone to this, I think. And, and, and I'm not, believe me, this is, there, there are often times, probably many times, most all the time that as a pastor and I'm preaching that I'm sitting right down here. In fact, I put my phone down here to remind me that that's where I would be sitting and getting this message because, because I'm as prone to this as all of us are. We come and, and what do I, so here's what I do on Sunday morning during, during our worship time, okay? So, so I stand up with everybody else, and the first thing I do is I close my eyes, right? Because I want to put aside all of the distractions I want to I be able to worship God. I want to be able to, to express my heart to God. And I don't want any of these other things getting in the way of that. And when I do, when I, when I do that, when I close my eyes and I, and I just, you know, I just want to be with God, essentially what I'm saying is, yeah, I really don't care about the rest of you. You can be doing whatever you need to do. You can be ha- handling this with however you need to handle, but for me, I'm going to, uh, this is about, m- this is me time here. This is time for me and God to really connect. And I think that there's much more our worship together than that. One guy I read described it, as if there are, somebody ought to count and see how close I am to 67, that if there are 67 people here today, it's like 
67 of us being alone together. And I'm not sure that that's what God wants for us here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We're going to put it up here as well. But I would love it if you would turn in your Bibles as well. I think that's always good. In Romans 15, if you track with what's happening in the book of Romans, Paul has in chapters 1 to 8 just laid out what it is that God has done for us in Jesus, how we, he, he first of all gives us what our position in Christ is that, or outside of Christ is, that we are all sinners, that we will never be justified being good, we will, that we are under the curse of death, that we have no hope in and of ourselves, okay? So, He moves from there into what God has done for us in Jesus, the grace of God, the love of God, the heart of God to reconcile us to himself, and how he brings us into his family. He makes us righteous in Jesus. He makes it possible for us to be children of God, lays all of that out in the first eight chapters of Romans. Then he comes to Romans, then he talks 9, 10, and 11 about the Jewish nation and how they fit into all of this. And in chapter 12, he he then says this. He says, therefore, since this is what God has done for you, since since this is the relationship that you have with Jesus, since this is how God has rescued you of darkness and brought you into relationship with himself, since that has happened to you, what I want you to do, I want you to love one another. I want you to live in love now. I want you to be community together. I want you to be family together. I want you to have a heart for one another. I want you to be knit together. I want there to be such an intimate relationship among among people of faith that when they're going when you're going through something, when there is difficulty in your life, when you are struggling, that there are people there loving you, caring for you, supporting you, encouraging you, praying for you, giving to you. I want to surround all of us with this community that we will live out of. This is the kind of life I want you to live. I want you to live a life of love with each other. And he comes now to the end of all of this in chapter 15, and he says this, beginning with verse 1, he says, you are strong, ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what we should do for one another, he's saying. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide that we might have hope. And then he ends kind of the whole thing with these thoughts. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had... So that, and listen to this, 
with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one mind and one voice that we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a pretty relational passage, isn't it? It talks a lot about the kind of relationship that we ought to have with one another. Bear with you who are mature. Walk with the immature in a way that is going to build them up. It's going to do good. You're going to take care of them. You're going to walk with them. You're not going to get frustrated with them. You're going to live together in love. You're going to, you're going to be community and family together. This is the way your heart is going to beat. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. And then I love this because he, 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 he kind of puts the exclamation point on it by saying, even Christ did not please himself. So what he's saying is, stop pleasing yourselves. Stop going after your own stuff. Stop being concerned about your own needs. Stop living for yourself and instead live for the other. I know if you've heard me preach any time in the past here that Scotty has been gracious enough to allow me to do this, you know that this is the way my heart beats, that this is what the church is to be about. We are to be about this kind of relationship, this intimacy of connection. We cannot settle for superficiality in the church. It's not what God wants for us. He wants us to know each other. He wants us to love each other. He wants us to look out for the needs of others. And how can we do that if we don't know what those needs are, right? How can we, how can we care for others if we don't know what others are going through, if we don't know the things that, the, that are happening in their lives? We need to know one another in order to love one another. It's just it's basic relational dynamic. And so he's saying that this is the kind of life that we're called to live. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. And then he, and then he turns to worship. You can't read this in any other way. May, so that with one mind and one voice you would glorify the God, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said this is the way you ought to worship together. This is what worship in the family of God is all about. It is us together worshiping God. It is us together having our hearts united and, and knit together and a unity and oneness within us that we are so caught up in the community of faith, in the commitment that we have to each other, that when we come here and worship, it isn't just about me and God. It is about we and God. It's about being together in this. It's about it's my, my heart committed to you. As I come here, I, I sat here this morning during the prayer thing, and I thought, uh, and they asked us what we had, what we had heard, you know, as we were praying. And I was thinking, you know, the, the, this is going to sound really bad, okay, just to preface this, just the, yeah, I guess I'll just say it. It wasn't so much 
the prayers that made a difference to me today. It was just the fact that we were together doing this. That I sat there and I thought, this is good. This is, this is what our life together is about, is just being in this room together here right now. Just being in this room together with you is, is enough that our hearts are knit together. Here's what I want you to see out of this, okay? First of all, I think this is first of all. I want, you to, I, want to, I want to give you this morning maybe just a different way of understanding what it is that we do when we come here, okay? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with personal worship of God. I, you know, nothing wrong with that. I think, I think that's good for us, right, to, to worship God. But when we're here together, when we have come here, and, and you all said it, community, family, oneness, you all said it, but then I think we, we say it, and then we do it differently, right? Two things about why we're here together based on what we see here in Romans 15. Here's the first thing that I want to say. That worship of God grows out of a loving community, all right? Our worship of God grows out of a loving community. That this is not, this is not individualistic, my personal relationship with God, my, uh, me and my, my inner life, like Welch would say. This is, this is about us as a family, it is about us as a community. It is about us being committed to one another. This is, this is big here, okay? Because the relationships that we ought to be nurturing here, and I think we do this, but that we always need to have in mind the, the relationships that we, that we are nurturing are relationships that should take us below the surface, that should drive us with one another to where we do know each other, we do love each other, we are actively involved in each other's lives. I used to tell people in my church back in, well, wherever I've pastored, I guess, it doesn't matter back where, but I used to say, you know what, there's no such thing as minding your own business in the church. We can't afford that. That is not what we're about. We need to mind each other's business. We need to be getting ourselves dirty in the lives of those people around us. We need to be, be sticking our noses in where maybe the culture, the world would say, oh, you really shouldn't be, you should, you know, not be involving yourself in there. We can't afford that kind of thinking in the church. We are made to be one. We are made to be loving and caring. We are made to be intimately, intimately connected with each other. And that's what we have to be if we're going to be the church. Otherwise, seven people alone together. Our worship of God should grow out of a community of love. 
A community that cares about each other. A community that when you walk in here in the morning, that you are aware of the different things that are going on in people's lives. And when we worship, you're thinking about those people as we worship. You're concerned about them. You're bringing the, you want to bring the, the, the truth and the presence of God, not just into you, but into their lives that we are, it, it, there's a place where uh, somewhere, I think it's in Isaiah, no, nah, that's not right. Somewhere in the Bible it says that God sings over you, Right? Somebody's going to check that right now. I just know it. <laughs> that God sings over you, right? And there is, there is a sense in when we are here on Sunday morning that out of the relationship that we have, that we are singing over each other. We're singing over the, the difficulties and the struggles and the storms in each other's lives just for ourselves. We're here for one another. We're here for community. We're here for love. Our worship shouldn't be just a worship that is just, just me and God. It should be a worship that, that, I am, that I am in some way bringing all of you into my circle uh, and, and worshiping you as, as family, as one, that this is, this is who we are. We are together, one voice lifting up the glory of God together. We're here because I'm committed to you. I'm committing my life to you. I'm committing to looking out for you. And I don't have to do that anymore because I'm not hired to do that, you know. I, this is, I'm just a part, I'm just, I'm just one of you people that, but this is, this is the heart that we are to have for one another. I'm not, I'm not standing on the outside looking in. I am on your side. I heard someone say that this morning. We're on your side. We're here with you. I'm standing with you. I'm committed to you. Every time Paul talks about worship in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14... He's talking about it in terms of correcting something that's going wrong in worship. And you know what it is every time? Every time that Paul talks about worship in the New Testament, he's correcting how badly they're doing the relational thing. How they aren't looking out for each other. How they aren't caring for each other. So that's the first thing, that we need to see that worship grows out of a loving community. This is not individualistic. Our voices are together. It is a statement of our love together. Our hearts are knit together. Secondly, it is a testimony to the reconciling work of God, okay? We believe that what Jesus did, when, Jesus, when God sends Jesus to take our place on the cross and die for us and shed his blood and rise again, that everything that Jesus does, everything that, that he is sent to do, he is sent to do in order, everything, you, 
all the things. You put them in a funnel up here, and they come, they come funneling down. to. And that is that we are now reconciled. We've been reconciled. Everything that Jesus does, all the truth about the cross, all those theological words that we throw around, everything that happens, happens in order for us to be reconciled, to be reconciled this way to God, okay, that now we can love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We are reconciled. He is our Father. We are His children. Uh, all, you know, to be called sons of God, children of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. That is the truth of our being reconciled to God. But that's not all because we are also reconciled to each other. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Reconciled this way to God and reconciled this way to each other. I can now love you in the way that I was always meant to love you, the way that God created me to love you. Jesus says, here are the two greatest commandments, the two reasons you are created. Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love each other. You want what life is about? It's those two things, the greatest commandments, he says. This is what you were designed to do. Everything else fits into those things. It's interesting. I'll throw this out. Jesus didn't die to make me moral. He died to make me loving. That's why Jesus died. And so our worship... Together, as we come to unite our voices together, our worship becomes a testimony to the fact that everything in the world that divides the world, everything out that divides us as people, whether that's race, whether that's uh, whether that is uh, background, whether it's our ethnicities, whether it's our uh, whatever else it is that divides us, whether it's our personalities where we just don't like people, right? Whatever it is that divides us, this is the place where all of those are eliminated. This is the place where there is now no Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free, no male nor female, no white or black or yellow. There is nothing that separates us in this place that we are united together. And when I sing with you, when I worship with you, it is a testimony of what God has done for us in Jesus in bringing us together that way. And we need to keep that in mind as we worship and celebrate that and allow that to be part of the motivation of why it is that we're here. The third thing, (sighs) you're going to love this, that at least one of the things that ought to happen to us in worship here is it should be the impetus for us to forgive and seek reconciliation. If it's all about reconciliation anyway, that should be enough to speak to that, right? And so when we worship, 
we ought to be, we ought to be thinking about, about relationship. We ought to be thinking about the connections we have with people, and, it, and uh, the Holy Spirit can't help but bring these kinds of things to mind, I think, that if I am, if I am out of relationship with somebody, in fact, Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you know, if you're at the altar and you're presenting your sacrifice at the altar and you remember that there's somebody that has something against you, and we could go the other way easily on this as well, or that you have something against somebody else, Jesus said, okay, just go ahead and worship. Just go ahead and lift up the name of God. It's okay that you're out. No, he doesn't say that, right? Jesus says if you're at the altar and you're presenting your sacrifice and you remember that somebody has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and reconcile. Go and forgive. Go and be restored in relationship. In 1 John, John says this. He said, he said you, can't, you can't say, I love God and hate your brother. Don't, and I think what John is saying to us is, don't even try to come here and worship if you have, if you are, uh, if, if you're disconnected, if you are, uh, if you're out of relationship out there or in here. And now half of the 67 of us stand up and walk out, right? Because, uh-oh, wait a minute. I've got... Our worship should move us to seek to forgive and seek reconciliation. And finally, our worship should remind us that we are not alone in this journey. That when I come, came here today, when I came here this morning... Um, it was, and we, and we worship together, we stand together, we are, we are connected together, our hearts are one together. It reminds me that, you know, when I'm out there and you guys are all in your places of living and, you know, we don't see each other much during the week and all of that and aren't in much connection, but it reminds me that there are people who stand with me in this. I am not alone. Too often we get that Elijah complex, right? In the, in, the, in the Old Testament, Elijah, he defeats the 400, one of the most amazing miracles of the Old Testament. Elijah calls fire down from heaven. It consumes the sacrifice. 450 prophets of Baal are destroyed in the valley. They, they kill them all. And Elijah has won this great victory. And Jezebel says, Elijah, if you're alive today, tomorrow at the same time, then, then you can be surprised. And, he, and, and instead of Elijah saying, oh, man, I've won this great victory. God is on my side. Elijah takes off running, and he goes to a cave, and he's depressed and he comes to God, and God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, I'm all alone. There's no one with me. Have you felt that way? I'm by myself. There's nobody who stands with me. And God says to Elijah, Elijah, there are still 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. 
7,000 prophets that are, that are remaining true, 7,000 that still walk with you, you are not alone. Our worship should remind us that no matter what we're going through, no matter how difficult the situation is, that we are not alone. There's a lot to think about coming into, into Sunday morning. All of a sudden, I've laid a, you know, it was, it was so much easier coming in here before, before all of this. I didn't have to think through all of this stuff. I could just come and sing and enjoy it and go home. And, but this is what we're about. Let me give you just a few practical ways that I see this kind of being worked out, okay? Because I don't, I, I don't know exactly what all of this means or how it all looks for us, this, because it is so outside of my experience, my individualistic experience, that, that it's hard for me to imagine what worship would like if this were a us rather than a worship of me, okay? So I think in some ways we all have to like, I, I love doing this kind of thing, Take it a blank sheet of paper and plunk it down in front of us and saying, okay, look, if worship is a community thing rather than an individualistic thing, what does that mean for me? How do I, how do, I do that? The things that I can do to make this more communal, more, more of a family, more of a, uh, of a together kind of thing that we do. What can I, how can I promote that in my life? How can I do that? I, I've thought of a couple of different ways of doing that. First of all, this, this uh, in fact, I've asked uh, Reuben to do this, and Nick will see more of this. I don't know, and this is just me, I don't know if we should sing any songs that are just I and me. He's going to sing Build My Life here in a little bit, right? Did I hear you practice that? And the chorus to I, to I Will Build My Life says, I will build my life upon your word. It is a firm foundation, uh, and I will put my trust in you alone. And he's going to change those for me <laughs> to say, we will build our life. We will put our trust in you. That it should be about us. It should be about us together. It should express the fact that we are one in this together, that we are family in this together, that this is who we are, okay? Uh, I think that there is some value to showing up early on Sunday morning. And not, not and the prayer thing is great. That's not quite what I'm talking about. I think, I think we're going to come in here being aware of what's going on in people's lives. We ought to have some opportunity and check in with people and say, Cheryl, how are you doing after the surgery? How's it going? Jen, how are you and Joe doing, you know? And that out of our relational love and connection then that we come in the room and we, and we worship together. And, 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 you know, I don't know, sometimes I think that, that we, this, is, this comes out of my college days, it's kind of crazy, but, you know, sometimes I wonder whether we shouldn't be holding hands while we do this, while, that we shouldn't be laying, you know, laying a hand on somebody's shoulder while we're worshiping for them and over them. If we shouldn't be, you know, 
one big massive group with our arms draped around each other, you know, singing kumbaya, you know, that, uh, that this ought to be an expression of who we are, that, that we are in this together, that it isn't just me by myself, that I do care about you. And then I make those kinds of commitments. Every stand-up, and this will be the last thing, every stand-up, and then we're going to sing a couple more songs and we'll be out. I, of course, you don't know what time it is because you've all turned your watches around, right? So every stand-up. Now, I want you to, to look around at the people around you. Hold on. Look. Yeah, I know you all want to do this now. Look. <laughs> but I want you to do something as you do. I want you to just, I want you to, I want you to look around, and I just want you to put your... I know, this is weird. I know. Some, if it's a shoulder, if it's taking, taking a hand and just say, Eric, you are my brother. You are my sister. You are my family. You are the people that I'm committed to, the people that I commit myself to you. I, you are, I will live for you. I will lay, I don't know if you want to say all these things or not. This is... <laughs> But this is what we should be saying to each other, these kinds of things. I will lay down my life for you. That's who we are or who we should be. So take a minute to do that. And if it's it's your spouse you're standing beside, then go find someone else. And, uh, (laughs) And although that's not all bad either, but just... Say, you are my brother, you are my sister, you are my family. I commit myself to you. I love you. I will care for you.